On this podcast, our teen hosts discuss real life with real people. We hope to inspire others by sharing stories of individuals and pairs of friends who have dealt with mental health challenges or just the ups and downs of life and discussing what brought them healing and inner peace. In these episodes, we also talk about the role that friendship and connection plays in a person's emotional well-being. Subscribe to this podcast to be a part of our Friends on Air family. Friends on Air! Hi everyone, my name is Abby and I'll be one of your hosts for today. I'm a 12th grade student um, and this is my second time on the Wellness Committee. I sort of jumped off to take a break, but now I'm back. Welcome back. Uh, My name is Sarah, I'm a sophomore. And this is my first time hosting a podcast episode. So I'm very excited. Hi, Abby. Hi, Sarah. I'm Allie. I'm the wellness coordinator here at the Friendship Circle. I have a background in clinical mental health counseling. So I will be approaching today's episode from that lens. I'm so excited about the guests we have today. And I'm Ayala. I'm the teen member engagement and partnerships coordinator which basically means I get to hang out with everybody and have a great time. Um, I also get to help facilitate these podcasts. So I'm very excited to be listening in. um, And I feel very honored to have the guests that we have today. So thank you for being here. Absolutely. Um, And I know that all of our listeners will gain lots from hearing this conversation. Absolutely. All right. So today we have a very special and admirable guest who are really looking forward to hearing from. Our guest has done extraordinary work over the years, one area being advocacy around disability rights. He recently retired from his position as CEO of United Way of Southwestern Pennsylvania. At the Friendship Circle, our hope is to empower youth to speak up for what they believe in and to advocate for those who may not be able to advocate for themselves. We can't wait to hear about your experiences and learn from your efforts. I would love for you to introduce yourself to our listeners um, we would love to know a little bit more about you and your back and your background. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm Bob Nelkin and I'm almost 75 years old. I've lived in uh, Squirrel Hill for almost my entire life, just a few blocks from Friendship Circle. Um, I went to Alderdice High School and I think for my entire life, um, it was always about how do you make the world a better place? Sometimes it was because I was very upset. And I need to to jump in and fix things. Sometimes it was just because I think I had really good ideas about how to make the world better. But that was always what I focused on. And from my days when I was a young person in Squirrel Hill to retirement. And the thing that makes me most happy right now is I have a 10-month-old granddaughter, our first granddaughter. Her name is Claire. And she is the most adorable child I've ever seen. That's awesome. That's so beautiful. So in one statement, what um, are you here to talk about? Yeah, so I believe a lot in Friendship Circle. Um, I've been Morty and Rifke and other members of the organization. I I, I learned so much all the time from Isla and um, other youth who've been through the program. And um, I just believe that every person can be a change agent. They can make the world a better place in a small way or a big way. And so um, I've been invited numerous times to come and talk to the teens at Friendship Circle. I've loved it. Uh, Some really important efforts happened by the teenagers because they were inspired by the conversation. So I'm just hoping that um, people who view the podcast, I can say that word, will think of themselves as uh, agents of change in either a small way or a big way. So now we're just going to use some like random um, this or that question. So like, um, okay. Okay, okay. Uh, If you could have any dream job, what would it be? Mm. Regardless of practicality. Yeah, Sarah. So I, I just uh, talked about how joyous it is to have a granddaughter, to be on the floor, playing with her, making her laugh, giving her, you know, uh, singing songs to her, rolling a ball to her and teaching her all sorts of things. 
it might amaze you, but I think I'd love to be a preschool teacher. Oh, wow. I love the little children, and I love to have an impact. What a great answer. Yeah, I I'll go first. Um, I think one job that I always wanted to be was to be like a astronomer or like a astrophysicist or something like that. Like I always wanted to work at NASA. So I think that would be like very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I'm going to go more on the side of regardless of practicality. And <laughs> um, like a an international food taster Ooh. or something. Someone that's who really gets to travel the world for free and eat good food. I good think that's a there's really some job answer. title I can't remember what it is, but when that would like, come up with that. How did you come up <laughs> like with that? Critic. Yeah, it's like a yeah. food critic, exactly. Same. Yeah, I have no um, credentials <laughs> to be a food critic, but I wouldn't want to be. I wonder if you could go to school for that to be a maybe culinary school. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. and, and journalism like, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Right, journalism. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, that was oh, exactly really. Oh no. <laughs> so that was going to be more specific. I'd be like okay. an international ice cream taster. Oh, um, so can we go spice. together? I think yeah. we have to go together. But <laughs> <laughs> we can have an ice cream from around the world. Oh my god! <laughs> well, it's honestly like my dream. That sounds awesome. I have fully thought about that. Like, it's not realistic at all. Well, not yeah. the food, because kosher, I can't really eat anything. But, <laughs> like, touring Airbnbs, <laughs> like that. Because they're so cool, and that would just yeah. be really nice. But that's not, like, a long-term solution, I don't think, yeah. for life. Um, so, so let me just get this. Yeah. Of the five of us, one of us wants to be on the floor <laughs> here locally. And the rest of you are either somewhere in the world or outer space. I feel like that might say something about wisdom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but actually, mine, my other one would be like an astronaut. I think that would be so yeah. cool. Yeah, you would be kind of freaked out just a little bit. Yeah, uh, without practicality. <laughs> I would love to see. Like, I would love to be in space, but probably not for more than. A week. Okay. Wait, how long do people go to space for? Like months. Yeah, no, I don't want to do and that. So, uh, Elon Musk will take you up for, right. you know, a few hours. $5,000, though. <laughs> Maybe one day. <laughs> Eventually. Yeah. All right. So, <clears throat> starting off with some basics, bringing us back. Bob, much of your work has been involved with what we call advocacy. Could you give our listeners the definition of what that means to you? Yeah, so I think if you ever experienced something that you thought was wrong at your school or in your synagogue or in the community or in public policy, and you want to change that, and you work hard to change that, that would be advocacy. Um, It can be small. It can be that a person at your school is being bullied, that people are maybe even not doing it directly, but saying derogatory things about the person. And you say, that's not right. And you step in and, you know, you try and change the those people. Now, that would be advocacy. Or you could take it to the other end of the spectrum, which is where I did most of my work, which is, you know, um, if there are terrible things happening in society, and you have the ability to lead and speak out, encourage, you can change those things too. And then there's all sorts of things in between, between those individual advocacy and the system or world advocacy. There's also, you know, um, improving mental health services, you know, in Squirrel Hill or at your school or in your synagogue or, you know, in Pennsylvania. Did that, did that help at all? Yeah, no, that was perfect. Okay. Yeah, thank you for that. Our next question is, um, what is it that you advocate for? Yeah, so uh, I've had a, a lot of advocacy in my life. Um, I, I advocated uh, for uh, against the draft and against the Vietnam War. I advocated to end the cruel, inhumane, institutions where we used to um, warehouse human beings. 
I've advocated for help for seniors so that they're not alone and isolated and without help in their years that they need help. I've advocated for special education. I was part of the group that established special education in Pennsylvania in 1973. Um, I've advocated for um, help for families who are struggling because they can't put food on the table or they can't pay for childcare or their housing is really bad. I've advocated for um, efforts so that we can get guns out of the hands of uh, young people and adults who are only going to cause a lot of trouble. And I could go on and on, but there's a wide array of advocacy. This one special area, I'm sure you're going to get to that. And what inspired you to begin your advocacy? Well, that's where I think you go back to, you know, where you are, you know, as a sophomore and a senior. Um, and in high school is, I think you start wherever you are and there's an experience, there's a, 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 a struggle, a problem that you see and you want to change it. It's not getting a law passed by Congress and signed by the president. It's not having the nations of the world agree to uh, reduce, um, uh, uh, problems with the climate. It's something within your reach and you'd say, I, I need to speak up. You know, I have a, a choice. I can stay silent. I can walk away from that problem or I could get involved. And then once you start doing that, you learn from that experience, you learn whether that's what you want to do in life or maybe get so bruised in that particular fight, combat, whatever you want to go, struggle, that you say, <laughs> I'm going to be more passive. Hopefully not, but that's, you start, you know, and I started in high school, I started speaking up and trying to make the world different. I think one of the things is you, Sarah and, and Abby, you probably have read something about a problem in the world. And you've said, boy, that's so wrong. You know, I would like to change it. I want to stand for justice. I want to stand for being good to other people. I, 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 I can't stand by. I need to stand up. I need to speak up. I need to learn how to solve this problem. Right? Now, I remember at Alderdice, uh, Miss Sinkus's 10th grade literature class. The, the um, semester was all about man's inhumanity to man. You know, and we read all these, you know, great, uh, all this great literature that told those stories. Well, I was, here I am many, 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 many years later. I can remember those. And, and it, it said to me, wow, if this is what the world is, you better be involved with change. That was me. <laughs> I also tell you that um, adults encouraging young people to be the agent of change is really important. So when I grew up, um, it wasn't called the JCC at the time, it was called the Irene Kaufman Center, but the, pe the adults identified me as a, a future leader and they sent me on a training program all across the Midwest, you know, and um, it was called the Youth Leadership Council. I was a national officer of it, but it was all about if you do have this feeling that you can be a change agent, you do need to learn how to do it and you need to be encouraged. So I think the encouragement and friendship circle is fantastic at that. It's really saying to young people, speak up, be in the change, make the world better. Um, how old were you at that point that when you were on the council that, Leadership Council? 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. Mm -hmm. You know, we met people from Detroit and, you know, um, Chicago and Milwaukee and St. Louis. These were young people, and they were encountering the same issues in their cities. And we were learning, you know, how to do it. And, you know, there was music. 
the, the, about changing the world. There was some fun with it too. And I think, again, friendship circle is that way too. Mm -hmm. It's not all serious, serious, serious. There's a lot of friendship and a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. But there is in the background this idea, well, let's do something good. Mm -hmm. Going off of Sarah's question, so you briefly mentioned one area of your advocacy um, specifically relating to inclusion and friendship circle is obviously a community and organization that yeah. tries to promote an inclusive community. Um, you spoke a little bit about the warehouses. I don't know what you right. call what you would call them or right. what they called them back then. I'm sure it wasn't right. warehouses that they were calling it. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that experience specifically and that maybe some of those changes that you were able to make in that area? Yeah, so, Isla, do you have like three hours or four hours? <laughs> you know, this is I wish. this is probably the most important thing I did in life, and I did it when I was 23 and 24 years old, which is another lesson that I think, Abby and Sarah, that, that I want um, people to get is you don't have to wait till you have three advanced degrees and, you know, all your finances are uh, in shape and you have a family and all. You can, if you want, um, bring about change at your age and as a uh, young adult. Okay, so uh, the background of the story is um, I was a youth worker at the Irene Cochran Center, now the JCC. Um, the youth had some challenges. There was a lot of uh, going into drugs and alcohol, and the board asked me. I was just a couple years older than the teenagers help them out. I was stupid. Um, I brought in the police to inform of the consequences. That was that when they were like a dud. <laughs> I brought in the head chemist from the county, the toxicologist, to educate people. That went over like a dud. I remember sitting with the teenagers your age, just a couple years younger than me, and I said, well, what is it? And they said, well, look, I think the issue is Nobody respects us. I'm summarizing and and all, but they said our, our teachers don't, our parents don't. They were probably wrong, but our teachers don't, our parents don't, our peers don't. And this is crappy. And that's when the light bulb went off for me. And so I started programs um, as a youth worker at the JCC. We fixed up homes for seniors. We tutor in Homewood Brush after school tutoring for kids who were struggling. And we started a program kind of like Friendship Circle um, where the teenagers every Saturday for two and a half hours one-on-one -on -one volunteering with a child with intellectual disabilities. And at the time most of these children were excluded from public school. So you had those disabilities the school systems didn't include It went so well. Everyone loved it. The parents got a break because parents are responsible 24-7. So they got two and a half hours. They can go shopping. They could go have coffee. It's, you know, some of the individuals really required attention for everything from toileting to feeding. to So this was a break for them. The... Um, people with intellectual disabilities, you know, and they were mostly, um, I'd say like six to 12 years old. They loved it. The trampoline, the music, the, the all awesome. playing, the artwork, and, and just the attention that they got from the teenagers, just like what you do at Friendship Circle, right? Because they didn't have like a social life otherwise. Yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, you're shaking your head. You, yeah. you understand mm -hmm. the power of all that. But the people who got it the, the most were the teenagers because they got a sense that I don't have to wait until I'm a young adult or an adult or a senior to change the world. I can do it right here, one-on-one. -on -one. I can make this life um, more respected, and I can help the family. Well, somebody said to me, take your volunteers to the state institution. This is really good what you're doing but you got to go to the state institution. And I resisted it, but I, I went. I took the volunteers. And that day when I saw how 
we as a Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and other states treat treated people with disabilities. I said, this is it. I, there's nothing more important than standing up and changing this because you, every imaginable problem, there were people just laying around on the floor, you know, uh, some naked, some in their own feces and urine. Um, the, the, nobody was treated individually. There were just a couple staff for large number of people. They were injuring themselves. They were injuring each other. Warehousing was the right term, but I mean, cruel would also be the right term. And after all I had read and all I had fought for, it said to me, this has to be changed and you have to change it. So I quit the recreation job that I had and became an advocate and started showing what was happening in those institutions across Pennsylvania to news media, TV, radio, the legislators, the governor, the secretaries of the departments, um, and exposed to the world what was going on and certainly expressed how wrong this was. And then we filed lawsuits to both start special education in Pennsylvania and also to create community services so that those individuals didn't have to be sent far away out of sight and out of mind. I'm sorry it took so long, but it said it would take three hours. No. <laughs> that was an abridged version. I think the craziest part of this is that it is so unimaginable. Thanks to people like you, it is so unimaginable that that was a reality. Like the fact that, first off, that the discrimination, the fact that there were these like quote, homes, is so foreign of a concept to us. I remember you previously saying how, I think it was like encouraged when somebody was born with a disability that their parents just- The doctors told them. Like automatically- Place your child in the institution. Right. There's no help. You're not gonna have school for the kids. You know, it's a burden you, you can't take. And like really, it's more like um, gratitude in a way that I'm, like feeling, to well, always towards yourself and the others who advocated that that is just so unheard of now, um, but really wasn't that long ago, which is just so Scary. nuts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about our teens who are still taking on like the torch now yeah. of what needs to be done because in terms of mental health advocacy, you can go into any number of hospitals, institutions in America and overcrowding, underfunding is a problem and you'll find you'll find situations and scenarios that you know you would not want to send your loved ones into. Let's just Ali, I, I think that's a great point. Yeah. And I think the issue of adolescent mental health services and the, the lack thereof, the, the wait waiting time, the lack of, you know, um, uh, professionals who are trained and, and ready to, to help that and, and all the wellness stuff that really should precede that the early identification there, that's a big issue i will say in response to isla that uh you said it wasn't that long ago so it's 50 years ago this week oh wow this week that the parent visitors and i there were three of three parents and i um found people at polk state school and hospital in cages and um, driving back two hours to Pittsburgh, we talked about how wrong that was. And um, there was a big expose that we caused as a result of it. The superintendent, who was a medical doctor who had set up the cages, he was fired. Uh -huh. There were protests. It, it was a, a very controversial move by the governor and the secretary of welfare, but it was right to bring about that change. It was one of the moments, think about it, 50 years ago this week, I believe it was March 23rd, well, that um, the um, we saw people in cages, human beings in cages, and we stood up and said, no, this is wrong. Well, is that, do you think that's why 
this is March is National Disability Awareness Month. Is there any connection? Yeah. No, yeah. just happens to be. Well, it's very fitting, I think, that but, that changes. But there's a big debate about whether to close Polk. So Polk now has, I think, 30 residents. When oh. when we exposed the cages, they had 3,000 residents. Wait, so they still exist? It still exists. There's a lawsuit to try and stop the closing. Oh. Well, I mean. So the battle still goes on. Wow. Yeah, 50 years later. But if you think about it, most individuals born between then and now have not gone to those institutions. Right. They live in the community. They live with their families. They live in group homes uh, in, in places where there's more individualism. There's lots of issues still. Yeah. You know, to Ali's point, I mean, the staffing issues would, would be really important. And I think the whole concept of friendship circle, the, the whole idea of, um, help me with the word, socializing, is that the right word? Changing the culture so that there's it, there is inclusion, that we see everyone has uh, a value to others, maybe in different ways, that we see each other as equal human beings and not, I'm better, I'm, I'm more significant than these individuals. Mm -hmm. That's what was wrong. That's what allowed us to send people far away away from their families, away from their communities, and stick them in these cruel and, and uh, horrific places because we didn't treat them as humans. Well, the flip side of that is, well, what do you do every day so that you treat people respectfully? And that's the magic of friendships. I'm even telling the fans. <laughs> and I'm equally a fan. I think our team leaders, such as Sarah and Abby, are perfect examples of that. Um, I think it's only because, I mean, it's because of our continued like leadership and um, really advocacy that our teens take on that that's continued. Um, as an example, Abby has done really important stuff at her school. We just recently had a meeting with representatives from Pittsburgh Public School to make sure that um, all accessibility needs mm -hmm. in her building yeah. are being um, met are being to met. the extent that they should be because they're not exactly and it's truly i mean that conversation wouldn't have started if abby didn't start it you know and it's really because of success yeah it's huge of our teen leaders who are making these changes that these things are continuing so would you learn from the experience would you and not not only would you learn but more specific would you learn about your power to uh highlight an issue it illuminate an issue and then bring a bunch of You flipped that on me there. Yeah. Question. <laughs> um, you can see the way you turn. You're like, now I'm the interviewer. So it started. <laughs> so it really, it started in October um, when Mayor Ed Ganey hosted a town hall about creating a disability-friendly city. And at that point, um, Isla and I and a few other people from my school, we had already started the process of um, bringing bringing to awareness the amount of ableism and um, not necessarily um, the underlying ableism that is seen in our school and our school right. district and bringing that to light. But when this town hall came about, we had decided to go and I decided was able to testify in front of the mayor and Speak just, I did. Were you scared? I was very scared <laughs> and Why? I've not, uh, there were a lot of people there, and yeah, but so what? I it was my first time doing something like what that. What were you afraid of? I don't know. <laughs> were you afraid of like of messing being up. put down? Were you afraid of like, I mean, not being able to speak um, articulately? What what were you afraid? I think the big thing was I was afraid I wasn't taking advantage of the opportunity I had to say everything that I needed to say, okay. which I definitely did that. So you so wanted to be effective, to be but you weren't right. sure you were going to be, but that right. in the end, right. so, you, realize, you yeah. learned that you could be. <laughs> exactly. So this the mayor, it nothing really happened with the mayor's office, but then I followed up. I shared the recording of my testimony with uh, my superintendent at my school district. And I got a response from the director of facilities 
and the chief operations officer asking to do a walkthrough of the building, which was incredible. Um, Isla joined me with a few other Friendship Circle uh, members, and we did a walkthrough pointing out everything that needs to be changed. In addition, I mean, everything. Some of them were very unrealistic. It, they involved knocking down walls and yeah, building new sure. hallways. Sure. But um, if the school were to get a major renovation, those things would need to be included. And we definitely made our voices heard. Um, we're actually working on writing a follow-up email right now to see where they're at in the process of that. Um, but it was very empowering to see that change being made in front of my eyes and having the people in power actually interested in what I was saying was such a unique experience. Why were they paying attention to you? Because I reached my hand up and I said, hey, can you come? <laughs> but, I need your help. But why, and they never get to interact with But students. why were they paying attention to you? Because I spoke up. Yeah. And because you were a high school student. Right. You know, and, and they didn't want to be seen as dismissing or right. or deriding what you had to say. So um, was this the first time in your life that you had a major public advocacy? Yes, I believe so. And, and do you think you're going to carry this forward for yeah. the rest of your life? Why do you Why do you think that? It was just so, so exhilarating to see that happening and to be able to bring that back and celebrate it with my Friendship Circle family and um, just... It was it was awesome. That I guarantee you, you're going to think about this for the rest of your life, and hopefully, you're going to build upon it because it's one experience that was a, a huge change. You you stood up. You told the people in power what you're doing is wrong. It it can be better, and you gave them then specifics, and you and you invited them in. And the first time with Ed Gainey. It didn't change anything that you were speaking up, but then you persisted because change doesn't happen easily. And there are often struggles afterwards or struggles to make it happen until some someday it does happen. Boy, you're going to think about this and it's going to change your life. Yeah. Are you going to put this in your essays for uh, oh, I, I, college? Yes. <laughs> you asked? Yes. Or, or tell, me, tell me what you said. Um. I've applied for a couple um, diversity and disability focused groups within the schools that I've applied to. And I included the details of these programs as reasoning for why I would be a good fit for those programs. Boy, if I was on the college admissions, <laughs> I, I would say this is a this is a firebrand. This is a, an individual who we've got to have here. Well, or they or they might look at it and say, oh, no, don't bring her here. <laughs> She's going to cause us a lot of problems. I mean, only good problems. Like, that's, that's a great way. Problems. That's a great way. Of... <laughs> I, this is, I think, if we're talking about advocacy at your age and in the couple of years or a few years to come after high school, it is about testing whether that's what fits for you, mm -hmm. testing whether you can speak up, testing whether you can deal with the setbacks. Again, change doesn't happen easily and often doesn't happen. Yeah. I can tell you a little bit about my theory about this. Okay. Why did the, this is for you too, Sarah. Mm -hmm. Why did everyone involved with those institutions run by the state, doctors, psychologists, social workers, a few educators, um, the nurses' aides, the staff, the family members. Why did they put up with that? Put up with the... Terrible, inhumane conditions. Either one of you uh, jumped in. But just guess. I mean, you don't have to have the perfect answer. Why did people allow society to do bad things because i think it's part of it is like it's, it's easier to be passive rather than like proactive and i think also like i think there's like a theory where like if you are in a group of people you're less likely to do something mm -hmm. so i think a part of it is like people like expect 
the burden to fall somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And they may think like, well, someone like who has more power than me will do something about this. But then no one does. Who has more power? So. Boy, that was profound. Yes. Profound. Those two reasons. Just the words straight out of my brain. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to turn to you in a minute. But that was profound. So how did you know that? Those two things. Were you guessing? No, I don't think so. I think you learned that somewhere along the way. There was something that you saw that should have been different. And you said, no, it's just easier to go along and be passive. Or, you know, um, this is beyond our power to bring about change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, in the example, like she just brought up where she was like, I think like Abby, you could have just like, like just given the testimony to the mayor and said, well, like I did my part, you know, like I did and like maybe someone will hear me as more power, but then nothing did happen. So. But I I was asking you, Sarah, how did you know those answers to those two questions? What have you witnessed or experienced in life that said, no, people let things go because it's easy to be passive and people let things that shouldn't be let go because they think they don't have the power, but somebody else does or a group needs. How did you know that? You're absolutely right. How do you know it? I think it's it's hard to think of a, like a specific example, but I think just like, I mean, I've seen it just like in examples that aren't as serious as like advocacy, just like very small things, like just growing up in middle school where, you know, someone would say something mean and, when you're in a group, like no one defends that person. Uh, I think just small incidents like that. Going along to get along. Yeah, exactly. Um, have really like instilled that idea. Abby, do you have thoughts on why Sarah, Sarah knew that? Or do you have thoughts about why people let really bad things happen? Um. I mean, I think I agree. It's definitely easier to be quiet and change is scary, especially when you are at the forefront of it. It's a lot of pressure to be perfect and to not mess up. And that might deter a lot of people away from leading the charge against an important issue that they see. But um, that change is never going to happen if they don't say anything about it when they're the ones seeing the direct impacts of it. I mean, I think... As a society, we are getting better at not being so passive, but it's definitely still a challenge. But I think just seeing the great advocacy work coming out of the teens at Friendship Circle, it's a great start. And yeah. So I, I just go back to the institutions. So here I am, I'm 24 years old, and I, I walk in and I see this. I go back home and I start crying and I start, you know, thinking about it. And I, like I said, I quit that job and decided I'm going to spend full time being an advocate. And I got paid for it, but full time advocate. But I thought about why did other people not stop it? Why did I stop? What was there about me that said no? But other people said, "Oh, let's go along." And and I think, sir, you hit. A couple of the reasons. I always think it's three things. One, I think it's just easy to be passive, um, to just keep doing your job or, you know, just let the things happen and stay out of it. You see this at school, I can tell you. The second thing that people do is they defend what is indefensible. So I've told you, when we found the cages, there were protests for months and months and months by the people who worked there, by the local elected officials, et cetera, saying, no, we needed to use the cages. We had to use the cages to protect, you know, the individuals, you know, et cetera. So there's often a defense of what is indefensible. And then the third thing is, People don't have the courage to act. They either don't think that they're powerful enough or they don't know how or they're afraid. So those three things that's in my experience 
are people who are passive, people defend what's wrong, and, and people are unwilling to step up and make the change. And it happens in individual relationships, middle school, somebody's treated badly, uh, but it also happens in society. And some of our institutions and our policies are bad. I do want to jump in with an example because I mentioned Abby's advocacy. I wanted to say that Sarah is equally putting in equal an equal amount of effort into change around these issues. And we've been trying very hard to get into her school and reaching a, a couple roadblocks that thankfully Abby hasn't been facing at her school. Um, but I mean, you guys are perfect examples, I think, of what Bob is talking about, like persistent not giving into that passive mindset. Um, and I mean, you guys are passionate and I, again, think it's really attributed to people like you who are not allowing things to keep on going if they're wrong. But it's complex, Isla. Yeah. It really is because you can feel something in your heart is wrong. You know what is right. But you also have other things you're doing in life and other relationships and friendships. There's, there's all sorts. It's not like this. Oh, I'm going to bring about the change and ignore everything else. There's right. all sorts of complexities. And that's part of what you have to consider when you're practicing advocacy or when you're learning. So like an example of the conflicts, the obstacles to bring about the change. Yeah. So, um, I go to Shadyside. So they have very strict policies about um, like outside organizations not coming in and like sort of like, I don't even know like what they're trying to prevent, but they just (laughs) don't want anyone from an outside organization like coming in to the community. Sure. So um, when I went to um, the head dean, like our, uh, principal like sure. and I said um, I'd really like to um, like an establish um, like a link between Shadyside and the Friendship Circle possibly like a club where people could meet um, like under the name of Friendship Circle and like talk about inclusion and like advocacy and these things and he sort of vetoed that because um, like Friendship Circle is religiously affiliated like i think i really it was very unclear but um and it like you went numerous times yeah so i went that was like yeah in maybe october and then i went again in like november and december and again it was sort of like i never received like an absolute no yeah because but i also never received a yes so i just think maybe they are like didn't want to give me a clear answer <laughs> like I don't so then I um Isla really helped me and she helped me set up a like a meeting under the umbrella of JSU um which is ironic but yeah <laughs> yeah so it had to be for like under JSU but um I did a presentation um, about Friendship Circle and basically trying to, like, recruit people and just letting everyone know about, like, FC's mission. Um, so that was uh, – it was, like, a pretty small thing, but it was um, – I felt like – But little... you did receive pushback, yet you still yeah, exactly. made it work. Yeah, so, yeah. Do you want to say what JSU is? Oh, yeah. Um, it was just Shadyside's Jewish Student Union. Um, so they – they allow that because it's the shady side students coming together, but for some reason they don't let outside things come in. So that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I, the truth is that any change is going to um, um, require overcoming obstacles and challenges. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the change would happen naturally, right? Mm-hmm. You know. So. I think part of what you have to learn about advocacy, again, whether it's in the individual group situation at, in the lunchroom or on the gym floor, or whether it's here at Friendships, I'm sure there can be human issues here too. 
or whether it's big policy issues, you have to understand it's not just an innocent, oh, that should be changed. I'm going to change it, period. Right? You, ha you have to be aware that um, you're not going to win every, every battle. So we didn't win every battle. Um, our, the case um, against the institutions that I was involved in went to the United States Supreme Court twice. I was somebody who was a proponent of a lawsuit to establish the rights of individuals to live in the community and have services and for their family members to have supports. And it went to the United States Supreme Court twice and we lost. Well, both times. Both times. And not only that, it was the justice, chief justice of the Supreme Court made it harder for anyone to go to courts to uh, get the states to defend their rights. On the other hand, 50 years later, those institutions basically don't exist. We don't have that sort of you know, um, care or lack of care for people with disabilities. You know, um, when we established the right to education in a lawsuit in federal court that was successful, the governor of the state, Jewish governor, uh, Milton Schaap, actually signed the consent agreement. Um, and so the lawsuit ended by requiring all 501 school districts in Pennsylvania to educate every single child in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Okay, so that sounds like a great victory, right? Yes. Well, but the school districts didn't want to comply mm -hmm. with the agreement. And they said, we don't, we don't have the money, we don't have the staff. It, Was it, this it, for it, just public school or all schools? Public school. We don't have the education, we don't have the educators who are trained to deal with somebody who, you know, um, that, uh, doesn't hear, doesn't speak, is in toilet train, has behavioral issues. We can't do it. And so then I worked with each of the family members whose sons and daughters were excluded still, even after we had won the victory. And one by one, we won those lawsuits. And there's still a lot of people who think those individuals don't belong in the public, public schools. They should be at, in an institution. So you gonna never win totally and you're never gonna win easily mm -hmm. maybe some local situations at a school i think you, i think you're probably gonna have some success mm -hmm. i don't know what it's gonna look like in the end it's not gonna be friendship circle mm -hmm. <laughs> necessarily mm -hmm. in there yeah. but there'll be a connection you're gonna you're gonna have some victory and you're gonna learn something great about institutions why did they not say no? Because <laughs> yeah. they don't want to give you something really, you know, that you can hold up and say, what did they do? All right. So very much related to what we were talking about with young people getting involved with advocacy. There are a lot of barriers, but do you have any advice for anyone who might be interested in getting involved but doesn't really know where to start or doesn't realize that they are passionate about something that they want to make a change for? Yeah, so I think uh, talking about it with others is a good idea. But knowing that others um, are probably going to find all the reasons why you shouldn't. But it's a good way to, to process it. Uh, I would use Isla as an example. When um, she was younger and uh, made the presentation, she came up to me afterwards and said, I have an issue. You know, um, what she have to do in order to be successful? She was successful. And that multi-year effort, she's still doing it. Well, she had to meet some of the people who were experts in the field, and she she met them. She had to talk to people who were in leadership of the organizations she wanted to change. She didn't. She had to get a group of other teenagers who were uh, willing to join with her and follow her. You know her her leadership. Um, she had to think through what the remedy would be. How do you bring about more awareness in the religious community about mental health problems? And, um, and then she had to get the, the schools and the community to have a big meeting to, to bring this issue out of the darkness 
in uh, front of them, and, and on and on. But that's an example. You know, you it isn't just uh, this is how we're going to do it. It's a process and takes some time. And the only reason I got there is because you brought me. I mean, you helped connect me to those people. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, you want if you have something that you want to accomplish, you should um, find somebody who can mentor or support you as you do it. You don't want them to to take it over, right? Which is what I instinctively do. But with Ayala, I always just how that how do I connect you? How do I help you think this through? How do I encourage you? So learning how to network is a good first step. Yeah. And, and just and, yeah, sorry. And find powerful people. Powerful people. Yeah. I remember the head of psychiatry for UPMC was one of the speakers she brought to the panel. They happened to be, you know, uh, Orthodox uh, Jew, and uh, I think you when you hear presentations like that, um, it it does make you all the people in the audience think about this. And that really only happens, like you said, once you start talking, like even if it's, even if you think that the conversation you're having is insignificant, it can really lead you very far. I would say I had no idea where me coming up to you would lead me. And it's, thank God, led me to a place where I've been like privileged to create some sort of impact. Uh, But that's only because I was brave enough to just start that conversation. Just to summarize it. So a teenager says, there's something that bothers me. I would like to change it. How do I do it? And then the next thing you know, over a good number of years, you know, a lot of work's been done and some changes happen. That's awesome. Um, All right. So then tying in that topic of mental health, oftentimes advocacy can be overwhelming. And how do you find that balancing your own mental health while still being an advocate for something that you're passionate about what's the right balance there yeah so i i'm not going to answer it because honestly i don't know what the yeah. what the individuals are experiencing and in some cases you know you do have to step back take care of your own wellness and take care of yourself and the school and family and relationships and everything else. So I, I, I won't answer that that way, but it, I do think there has to be a mindfulness that, um, I, am I the right person? Am I strong enough at this moment to do it and not to feel bad if you can't, mm-hmm. you know, it's not another crushing obligation that should be on, on people's shoulders if they're struggling. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think everyone should feel like they have to be the advocate. And, and be the leader advocate. I will say one other thought about it, Abby, and that is that life, and this goes back to my experience in the late 1960s at the JCC. Part of what I was doing, I didn't know what I was doing at the time, was helping teenagers feel good about themselves, respect themselves. And um, so sometimes that can be very helpful in terms of well-being is to feel like, okay, I'm not in charge. I don't have a lot of power. It's going to be many years before I do, if I ever do, but I can help another human being on a Saturday afternoon or a friendship circle or, or whatever. And now that makes me feel better about myself and my purpose in life and the steps I'm taking. So I do think advocacy, whether it's at a relationship, friendship level, or at a public policy level, can help people have a a sense of their life. And I'll just say one more thing about it. Um, Looking back on my life, I know I've made a difference. That's powerful. Yeah. Um, This is not a um, series of questions. Yeah, we're kind of going from like deep to... Yeah. What is like a song, an album, book, hobby, it could be anything that maybe helped you along your journey or just that you enjoy in general? I love nature photography. Oh. I produce uh, a new uh, nature photograph almost every day for my family. 
a few people on Instagram who, who look at it. I didn't know that. <laughs> I will be checking it out. I, I love nature. I love to walk in nature. I love to be artistic. So um, that. And uh, I am a, an avid news junkie. Mm-hmm. I learn every day about something in the world that uh, I need to understand. This week it was about how the banks fail. Why do people feel secure to put their money in the bank and then the system doesn't protect? Mm-hmm. You know, so I had to tell. So I'd say that learning is a second thing. Interesting. That's a good answer. And the last question we have is. Oh, finally. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean that's my last question that I can ask of the two of you? <laughs> I mean, that's up to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, it says, here at FC, our core mission is to be a good friend. How has friendship and connection with others played a role in your personal life as well as your advocacy journey? Yeah, so to be honest, I've always been a person who uh, wondered whether I was alone on an island. Um, I was always very independent. I could always stand apart from a crowd. I don't need the recognition of a crowd. But the, all the big change that I did in many different positions, heading up human services for the county, working for two governors, et cetera, it was in partnership with other people who had the same values, who were also very powerful, who, who could see the change. And we created it together. We're still friends 40 and 50 years later. And we still keep coming up with ideas about how to, so I do think even somebody like me who thought that one of my problems in life was that I was on an island all by myself, I really found out I brought about change because I, I did it with others who I respect and love. Oh, that was beautiful. Yeah. Maybe just to wrap up, do you have any yeah. final words that you'd, you think our listeners can benefit from? Yeah. Here, I have a question for oh, yeah, yeah, my yeah, two friends. So <laughs> Sarah and Abby. Yeah. Abby and Sarah. Tell me, what do you think about advocacy? Now, did this, did any light bulbs go on? Did this just reinforce everything that you thought? Or what big question do you have in your head? What's your reaction to this conversation? I love putting you on the spot. I feel like you should run a podcast. Yeah, well. um, I think that it's empowering to hear um, a story like yours filled with so much advocacy, but yet so much struggle and passion and perseverance. It's empowering to think about what I could do with my future. And it makes me excited. I just met you today. If you want a letter of reference for your college <laughs> applications, I would gladly do it. I, I will definitely I, take you on that. I don't know how to reach me. Guys, I'm emotional. Oh, I think one thing you said that really stood out to me was how, like, sometimes what we want to achieve with change is like conflicts with our personal life and what and what actually can be done you know there's like so many obstacles and you just have to have persistence and find creative ways to overcome those obstacles and um like like you said it just it doesn't it never comes easy and i think the sooner that you accept that and work towards coming up with a a new solution um the sooner that some change can happen. Yeah. You are on track to learn and learn about change and, and how to bring it about. And it's going to be important in so many aspects of your life. I really respect what you're doing. Thank you too, Abby. And uh, I think Friendship Circle is fantastic because it is about being more human. We're being more respectful of each other. And out of that, those individual relationships, 
then you get more of a collective respect for each other. And then maybe some thoughts about like the community at large or the world a better place. And you guys already a sophomore and a senior in, in high school are doing it. I'm so excited about your futures. Oh, Oh, he was, wow, what a beautiful end piece in the conversation. <laughs> All right, so thank you, Bob, for being willing to contribute and share your experiences with us today. I can't wait for all of our listeners to hear everything that we talked about. Um, so just to recap, today we talked about advocacy, what it means, the role that it played in your life, the role that it plays in our lives, and hopefully will continue to play, um, and how our listeners can take their passion and turn it into advocacy as well. Um, So we hope that you all will continue to grow with us as we share inspirational friendship and mental health stories and resources in our future episodes. If you'd like to hear more stories and episodes like this, subscribe to this podcast. Wishing you well, and thanks for being a part of our friendship family. Signing off from Friends on Air. Woo!